And Thomas said to him, my Lord and my God, in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen. You can go ahead and have a seat. Since uh, the uh, gospel reading will be our focus this morning, and it wasn't in the bulletin this morning, that was my fault, uh, you can go ahead and look it up. If you have your Bible with you, the only time I'll ever say this, if you need to find it on your phone, you can go ahead and do that. It's John chapter 20, verses 24 to 31, and we'll be using that as our text this morning. Now, a film titled The Arrival of the Mail Train might not strike you as a particularly scary movie. But rumor has it that this movie, only 50 seconds long and consisting of entirely one shot, was the original horror film, causing fear, terror, even panic. That this short movie could provoke such a reaction makes more sense when we understand that this film made its debut in 1895 and was for many in the audience the first moving picture they had ever witnessed. So when the curtains pulled back and the movie began with the footage of a train moving directly toward the camera, toward the audience, it is said the the crowd panicked and stampeded out of the theater, terrified. Imagining the locomotive to be coming directly at them, the original audience found themselves uncomfortably caught in the action of the story. Sitting down for a moment of distraction or entertainment, instead they found themselves confronted, implicated. Perhaps we might identify with these moviegoers from long ago as we hear the text from John chapter 20. Taking place exactly one week after the events of Easter, the text we heard read concludes with this direct address to you and I. These are written that you might believe. In those words, we are confronted. What has been a a biography of Jesus, a story about others distant from us across time and culture, now impinges upon us. We are here today, of course, to celebrate the baptisms of several members of our community. Joyfully, we celebrate the the new life in Christ we heard read about from 1 Peter. The faithfulness of God, the hope of salvation for those who are being baptized. Yet, more than just being spectators, all of us are implicated, are confronted as well in baptism with reminders of our own baptismal commitments, perhaps, our own allegiance to Jesus. Even more, we're confronted with the role we are called to play in this community of faith, upholding those who are baptized and one another in following Jesus, not passive spectators. And perhaps we find ourselves here with some draw toward Jesus, toward him, but having never made a decision, a commitment to receive him in faith. We too are implicated, confronted by the baptisms we will witness. Will we lay hold of the abundant life that's available in Jesus? Or will we walk away? Some of us will be baptized, but all of us are implicated. This sense of being implicated, confronted by a story, is what one scholar has termed reader entrapment. That idea that as we read the story, as we watch the movie, we are 
suddenly confronted, caught up in a way that we didn't expect and is difficult to escape. The gospel is a story that entraps us. Written that you may believe. That is one of the primary reasons for the gospel of John's existence. This biography written by Jesus, by the written of Jesus, by the evangelist named John. Over the coming weeks and months, we will be following along with this gospel in what is known as a Lectio Continua fashion. Each Sunday, beginning next week with John 1, we will take up passage by passage in sequence the text of the gospel. I won't tell you how long we'll spend in the gospel of John, but it'll be a while. Unpacking the story of Jesus' life in John's telling, applying its truths to our own lives today, implicating ourselves in the story of Jesus. This morning, in just these few moments before these wonderful baptisms of these such precious members of our community, I'd like to talk about why we are doing this. Why are we doing this study? And I want to do that by looking at a couple of points from our text in John 20. Now, this passage is, of course, very near the end of the story, very near the end of the gospel. Some scholars have even argued that this is the true, actual end. I think they're wrong, but... <laughs> but it might then be a curious spot for us to begin. But there are a couple of elements highlighted here in this near-the-end passage that make it an appropriate beginning that give us a taste of where we will go, shed light on some of the themes and things that we will notice in our journey through John. As I said, this text picks up exactly one week after Easter Sunday. And well-known New Testament scholar F. Dale Bruner has identified in this week after episode the beginnings of the early Christians' habit and rhythm of meeting on Sundays to celebrate the resurrection. They gathered one week after. And that weekly rhythm of worship has continued. We participate in it today. And there are two basic things to notice about this gathering in John 20 that might be formative for us. First, as the disciples gather, as the followers of Jesus gather to celebrate the resurrection weekly, the risen Jesus shows up. That is our hope and our expectation, that the risen Jesus meets us, just as he did on these first two post-Easter Sundays. That he meets us at the table in the word in our life together. He shows up. Whatever the obstacles, whatever the circumstances, the doors are locked, right? Like the doors could be locked. You could not get in here. And the risen Jesus might still make his appearance. He shows up and that is our hope. Second, as you'll notice here in verse 26, he shows up in the midst of him, them, John says. That is, in the very center. The risen Jesus is at the center of the gathered community. He is the integral piece. I want to put this as plainly as possible. We as a community are about Jesus. We as a community are to be about Jesus, the risen Lord. He is at the center of our life together. It is for him that we exist. It is by him that we exist. And we live, we only live in the expectation of his presence and his work among us. That is our hope. That is what makes the church. That's what makes church of the cross. 
And it's his presence and it's his life that animates every other good action. Our worship, our community life together, our works and deeds of mercy and justice in the world, all of that is rooted in the risen Lord's presence. And this is why we are journeying through John in the coming season. Because we are community all about Jesus. We are a community that needs to be all about Jesus. So we're going to set our focus on him, on the word made flesh, on the one who is our good shepherd, on the one who is the light of the world and the bread of life. It is for the sake of this focus that we're entering into this series on John, that the risen Jesus might be made known to us through the words of Jesus as inspired by the Holy Spirit. A few years ago here in Austin, I saw someone with a curious t-shirt. It was a a simple slogan, purple or green t-shirt, just a few words on the front. And those words had the phrase, listen to Bob Marley. (laughs) And that was it. A bold, singular command. Listen to Bob Marley. If I were to get a similar t-shirt, it would simply read, read the gospel of John. Not that the other Gospels aren't wonderful. Not that the other books of the Bible don't have essential truths for us to receive. It's simply that, for me, these words, the words John has recorded, are among the best means of encountering the risen Lord, learning about Him, getting a comprehensive picture of Him in all His confounding glory and brilliant significance. I don't have the t-shirt yet. But my encouragement to each of us in this season, in the weeks and months ahead, is read the Gospel of John. Listen to Bob Marley if you want, but read the Gospel of John and reread it. I tested this out. It takes about two and a half, three hours to read through the whole thing. You might make it part of your practice as weekly as we engage in this series. Read it, reread it, saturate your mind in John's words about Jesus that you might meet and know Jesus more clearly. We are focused on this. We are setting our focus on the gospel of John because we are a community that is all about Jesus. Another feature of our text this morning that relates to why we are embarking on this series features the character of Thomas. Now, Thomas is this interesting figure in Scripture. He's known as a doubter or skeptic. And that reputation arises from this simple fact that he didn't show up for church one Sunday. (laughs) He missed the first appearance of the resurrected Jesus. We don't know if he was late or if he was absent altogether, but it turns out that was the worst possible Sunday to miss. (laughs) You can imagine him coming up. Guys, like, what happened? What did I miss? Just regular old time, right? Like, uh, no. But Thomas, of course, becomes more memorable, not because simply missing out, but because of this reaction of disbelief, incredulity regarding the disciples' claim. It's striking to me that the first instance, one of the first instances post-resurrection of evangelism is unsuccessful initially. It's oddly encouraging, perhaps. And Thomas, as the one who is unconvinced, in verse 27 becomes a stand-in for all of us who also were not there on that first Easter Sunday. And is an encounter with Jesus, who draws near to Thomas in his unbelief, who, who doesn't despise him in his unbelief, but extends himself, you'll notice, 
Thomas stands in for all of us. And there's this path put forth before him, this binary path. Stop doubting and believe. Literally, non-faith or faith. And that binary is a feature of the Gospel of John, as we will see in the weeks ahead. There is light and there is dark. There is belief and there is unbelief running through the entire story. Jesus, as the light of the world, enters places of darkness and it can't overcome him. It cannot stand. And time and again through the Gospels, we'll see how his presence provokes confrontation, provokes decision. All manner of people, as they encounter Jesus, must decide. They're each given this binary choice, belief or unbelief. The following of Jesus, the stepping further into the light, or the shrinking back from that, retreating into the dark. Now, as we'll see, unbelief in the Gospel of John means something particular. It's not the simple equivalent of honest questions, grappling with doubts, with the complexities of faith and trust in Jesus in a broken world. There's more to it in the story that John is telling. It relates to a kind of rejection of Jesus, a refusal to trust him, a preference for the darkness of the world, for life away from him. Just as Thomas's confession here, the last words any disciple says in the Gospel of John, my Lord, my God, there is this relational element to belief and unbelief in the Gospel that reveals the orientation of our hearts towards God. We'll have more to say about that in the weeks ahead. But this idea that encounter with Jesus provokes a decision is something that is so important for us to consider. Perhaps as an initial thing in our lives, the very first time we might consider who Jesus was and is, it is massively important. Will we receive this description he has of himself? But it's also important in an ongoing way. You and I are daily, weekly confronted, offered the same binary path put before Thomas, belief and unbelief. In our moments of temptation and weakness, in our, our suffering and sorrows, in our moments of enjoyment and celebration, and growing and flourishing in our faith, in life, involves choosing the path Jesus implores here growing in our trust of him, drawing out of the darkness into greater intimacy with him. In the history of the church, the gospel of John is understood to be this dynamic, living book that helps the people of God grow in intimacy with God. It's seen in history as a vehicle, a way of ascending into, the life, into life with God. There's this mystical element to it, there's also this profoundly inviting idea of sharing further in the relationship that Jesus enjoys with God the Father. You will see this in the weeks to come in the journey of the disciples, in especially the disciple known in the book as the disciple whom Jesus loved. He goes on a journey. And as we follow along, we go on a journey with him, entering into the love the Father and the Son share. Just one example is John 1, verse 18. Some translations regard, uh, render it that Jesus came, the Son came from the bosom of the Father. 
And then toward the end of the book, in the upper room before the cross, the disciple whom Jesus loved is described in John 13 as clinging to the bosom of Jesus, this picture of embrace and intimacy, that he now shares in the same relationship the Son and the Father share in, that we can now share in too. That this binary decision is such a feature of John's gospel suggests to me that this series, that our engagement with the gospel might be a vehicle for our own growth in life with God, our own renewal in faith with him. As we encounter Jesus through these passages, we have the opportunity to draw near to him, to grow in our belief and trust in him. And that is something I desire for us as a community. That is something I desire for you, that we would be a people marked by ever-increasing belief in Jesus, in his goodness, in his righteousness, in his capacity to save and redeem. That is the hope we have for those who are being baptized today, an ever-increasing faith, a lifelong increasing intimacy with the risen Lord. And that's important. That's important because of what that means. Ever-increasing intimacy with Jesus. That's important because of what's on offer in intimacy with Jesus. What's on offer is peace and life. Those of you who are about to have your children baptized, that's your cue. <laughs> you got to go get them if they're in childcare. But our reading from John 20 suggests these two things are available, peace and life. These features of the intimacy Jesus shares with the Father are now made available to us, to his followers. So verse 26, the risen Jesus appears in the midst of the disciples and he says, peace be with you. In the disciples' frightened state, in their uncertainty about the future, in their embarrassment, their sin, their shame, Jesus proclaims a word of peace. The same voice that stills the wind and the waves speaks into their situation and says, peace, holistic well-being, that is the fruit available when the risen Jesus shows up. The desire for us as a community is to encounter Jesus and receive his peace. And then in our last verse, verse 31, life in his name. Through trust that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, there is life through him. And that term here suggests life of a different order, right? Qualitatively different life. Abundant life, eternal life, divine life lived by human beings like you and me. That hope, that expectation found in Jesus alone is why we are here. It is why we are engaging with the gospel of John in this season. That over the coming weeks and months, the life of God would more fully be ours. As we are taken into, deepened into the conviction that Jesus is God's anointed, is God from God. That we would receive his peace as we share in the life he shares with the Father. This is why we are doing this. First, because Jesus is in the midst of us, the risen Lord, and he is at the very center of our life together. Second, because it, his presence provokes in us a decision. And third, it draws us further into life and peace with God. In C.S. Lewis's book, The Voyage of the Don Treader, 
Eustace, Edmund, and Lucy at the very beginning notice this wonderful painting. And they take it all in. But then this moment arrives where simply standing there, they begin to feel the spray of the sea, the smell of the ocean breeze. And they are, they must be pulled into the frame. So too may it be for us as we read the Gospel of John that the smell of Jesus, the fragrance of him, that the the abundant life he shares with the Father would splash on us this morning, that we and those being baptized would be immersed in the love that he shares with the Father, such that we would know life, such that we would know peace. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen. Let's do some baptisms, okay?